Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you have your Bible, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Um, Amy and I and, and Josh, we traveled this uh, this uh, weekend, and uh, I got to share this same sermon twice this morning. So I get to preach this sermon three times in one day. At the church we were visiting this morning, um, they were meeting inside in Missouri. Um, they, they've got a little bit more freedom there. And uh, uh, since they were meeting inside, though, they, they did have to keep the, the, their numbers down, too. So they had two services when they normally would have one. So I got to preach it twice this morning, and, and we'll be looking at it tonight. Um, Genesis six is a, is a kind of a a bizarre passage. Uh, it looks it's really kind of weird to uh, the way we look at the world today. Um, uh, but before we really dive into this, uh, let's just kind of think a little bit about the things we've seen so far. We saw creation in Genesis one, uh, and the things I want to emphasize there are the fact that God created all things and he created human beings in his own image and because of the fact that we are created in his image we are all worthy worthy of dignity and value because we are created in the very image of God um, God gave one command and that was do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and our first parents Adam and Eve partook of that fruit uh, they ate that's bringing sin into the world and death through sin um, then we saw in, uh, particularly in verse 15 of chapter 3, after they ate of the tree, God gave a promise and a curse. He cursed the serpent, uh, stating that it would crawl around on its belly. He cursed the ground, uh, saying that it would produce thorns and thistles any longer. And But he did not curse human beings. Instead, uh, he, he did lay out what the consequences were of sin. Uh, there would be a distortion of the relationships that a man and woman would have. Uh, there would be um, increased pain in childbearing, and there would be increased um, uh, pain and labor and toil in our work. And um, uh, But there is a promise that is given as well. Promise a promise of uh, the seed of the woman that would one day come. Uh, God, Jesus, well, God says that there would be a seed of the woman, a, a descendant of Eve who would come and crush the serpent's head one day. Um, and that place in Genesis 3 is the foundation of, of a messianic hope throughout the Old Testament. They were looking forward to a Messiah, this one who was promised right after the fall, who would come and crush the serpent's head. And the whole Old Testament points forward to Jesus, the one who would come, the one who was a descendant of David, the one who was a descendant of Abraham, the one who was a descendant of Eve, the seed of the woman who came. Last week we looked at chapter 5. Uh, we looked at the... the um, uh, genealogy, uh, the the uh, all the names and names and names, uh, the, uh, and and he died, and he died, and he died over and over again. The consequences of sin were spreading. While there was uh, a fruitfulness, uh, Adam and Eve did have children, and each generation continued to have children, and and they were being fruitful and multiplying. At the same time, every generation and every generation since then, and we know it in our experience, everyone dies. But you come to 
Noah, and Noah's father, when he is born, says, this one, he calls him Noah because Noah means rest, and this one, he says, will bring us relief from the painful toil of our hands. There's an expectation, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one who will be the deliverer. Maybe this is the one who will be the Messiah. Uh, Now, Noah, he points forward to Jesus and the fact that he did save the world and the fact that he built an ark. He, He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God and he made the um, the ark as God told him to do. And that saved uh, all of humanity since that time. But leading up to that, here we have in chapter 6 this bizarre passage that tells us about things that happen in this pre-flood world that... Um, uh, it, 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 we, we just look at it and it sounds bizarre. And as I begin to talk about it, as I begin to explain it, we'll understand what I mean by bizarre. Um, beginning in verse 1, I'll read our text. When man began to multiply on the face of the earth and had daughters uh, who were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. When the sons of God came came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of the heart's of of his heart was only evil continually and the Lord regretted that he had made man upon the earth and it grieved him to his heart so the Lord said I will blot out man that I have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens for I am sorry that I have made them but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord let's pray oh father we love you Father, we pray that you would speak to us from your word. Open our eyes and open our ears so that we can hear from you. And Lord, that we can live in obedience to your truth. Uh, Father, give me strength tonight. Strengthen me uh, as I'm already worn out uh, from a long day of, uh, of ministry. Father, give me strength to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we begin... When, the, when uh, man began to b- multiply on the face of the earth, this harkens back to um, what the original command to Adam and Eve was. He commanded uh, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And we saw in chapters 4 and 5 how that was uh, obeyed, that, that the human race began to continue and, and they, they multiplied on the face of the earth. Now, at this time... Um, it tells us that um, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Now, here is the, where, I'm, where I'm saying is bizarre. What is the sons of God and the, and the daughters of man? What is it talking about uh, in this passage here? Uh, there are a couple of different interpretations um, that uh, I think that, that uh, are possible. Um, it, but it's it's hard to say with certainty because um, this is just a, a really difficult passage. Um, some have held that this is the godly line of Seth is the sons of God, 
and that the the evil, the wicked line of Cain was the, the daughters of man, and that they intermarried, and this was one of the reasons that led to the flood, led to the destruction of all humanity. Um, but the the other view is that these sons of god that came down and were uh, that that married human women um the other view is that those were angelic beings like they were fallen angels and now 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 you should understand that's that's pretty bizarre that sounds that sounds pretty bizarre but here are the reasons why um that uh that that is probably the oldest position uh, the most ancient position on on what this text means first of all Every place in the Old Testament where we see the word, the sons of God, uh, it's referring to, um, to angelic beings outside of this text. We see it in the book of Job. It's, it only occurs a few times in the old, whole Old Testament. We see it in the book of Job. Uh, if you know the story of the book of Job, uh, about how in the very beginning where, where uh, those who are reading the book of Job get to, to, to see behind the curtain, kind of, kind of like uh, in the Wizard of Oz, getting to see behind the curtain uh, at what's going on, uh, where Job doesn't really know what's going on in the story. But behind the curtain, um, we, we get a glimpse, and, it, and we see that it says, at that time, the sons of God would come before the Lord, and Satan also would come with them. Um, so that was at the time whenever Satan asked permission, you know, to, to be able to, to, um, give trials to, to Job. Uh, so here we see the sons of God were angelic beings. Another place also in the book of Job, we see the same term, the sons of God, about how they rejoiced at creation. Um, this was, this was the re- rejoicing at when, when God was making all of, of the heavens and the earth and everything. And, and this was not talking about human beings, but this would be talking about the hosts of heaven that were rejoicing at the time of creation. Then also, we see uh, in the book of Daniel, there's the, there's the Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, this, the story there of the, of the three Hebrew children that were thrown into the fiery furnace. And these three children were thrown, well, I call them children, that's, I guess, out of tradition. These three men were thrown into the fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar looks down into the furnace, and he sees uh, he says, "Weren't there four? Or, there's four men down there. Didn't we just throw three? Didn't we just throw three down there into the fire? Uh, and the fourth is like the Son of God, right? Um, he, he was saying that that fourth one, he, he doesn't look like just any old person. He, he looks like uh, some kind of angelic being, some kind of heavenly being, someone who came right out of heaven." Um, so those are the places that we see these, this term "son of God," sons of God, in the Old Testament, and each one refers to like angelic type beings. And so it would be natural that when we come to Genesis chapter six and we read, "When uh, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, they took as their wives any they chose." When we read that, it would seem natural with the context of the rest of the Old Testament that. Um, that we would be talking about angelic beings who left their dwelling in heaven, who, who came down, were tempted, and, and had uh, marriages with human women. Now, that seems bizarre to me, and, and, and that, that seems bizarre to any of us, but I think that's really the position that, that uh, the biblical writers held. And, and the New Testament writers also talk about the same thing. In the New Testament, we see in... Um, Second Peter, the passage that I read for our, our scripture reading, it talked about how 
uh, in the ancient world, God held um, held the the angels who disobeyed until judgment, uh, and, and in contrast to that, with the fact that. Um, with Noah, he saved from destruction. Those were side by side, just as we see it here. Uh, God, God um, holding angels for judgment. Now, where else in the Old Testament do we see a story like that? Is there any place we see in the Old Testament where there's these angels that are held for judgment? I think the only place that, that, that it would be, I think, would be this passage. Uh, it's talking about those angels who left their proper dwelling... And I'm saying that left their proper dwelling because that's the way that the book of Jude puts it. In the book of Jude, it uses the same kind of example about how God is able to, to punish the wicked and also save the, the righteous from the midst of that punishment. Uh, he uses the same example of Noah in the ancient world uh, in contrast to these, these angels who left their proper dwelling um, and, and uh, went after sensuality. So all that to say, I think the, the text of the Bible um, points to the idea that, that that is what happened. That angels, uh, that fallen angels left heaven and, um, and mar- intermarried with, with human women. Now, you might say, well, how is that possible whenever Jesus said, well, in the resurrection, we'll be like the angels. We'll be like the angels, uh, neither uh, given in marriage... Um, or neither marrying nor given in marriage. How, how is how is that going to be if if Jesus says that the angels don't marry? Well, um, it says that we'll be like the angels in heaven when Je- when Jesus says that. Uh, but here Jude tells us they left their proper dwelling. They were not angels in heaven. They had fallen, and so that that that's one way that uh, we can reconcile those two to where. Um, where that fits so now i'll warn you right now this is a difficult passage so i I may struggle along the way as i'm trying to explain this verse uh, verse three we come to this right after um moses the author here talks about um these fallen angels who came and and intermarried with with human women Uh, it says then the lord said my spirit shall not abide in thee in in, uh, man forever for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. And we think back to last week whenever we looked at the genealogy and how people lived for so, so many years. We had Methuselah, who lived 969 years. We had my namesake, Jared. He lived 962 years. We had Adam that lived over 900 years. The youngest person in the entire genealogy was was um, uh, Enoch, and he's the one who was taken uh, and, and did not die, according to the text. Uh, he lived to be 365 years. But here, because of the wickedness, because of the spread of sin um, and, and, and wickedness within the human race, God looks down and he says, it, nah, not going to happen anymore. Not going to happen anymore. He limits the lifespan of human beings and says, um, they're, they're not going to live any longer, any more than 120 years. And while those long lifespans that we see in the Old Testament continue on for a little while, um, you, you do see some of these long lifespans in the early days, but the further you go in the Old Testament, uh, the, the shorter those lifespans get. And um, by the time you get to the end of the, um, the first five books of the Bible, with the books of Moses, uh, Moses dies at, you got it, right at 120 years. Right at 120 years. 
and, and it fits with our experience as well. Because you, you think of the oldest person you can think of. Uh, like a few years ago, I, I saw a news story about these two ladies that were the oldest two human beings on the planet at the time, and both of them were 116 years old. Uh, you, don't, you don't find anybody much older than that these days. Okay, now, here's another bizarre part. What is this Nephilim? The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came to the, into the daughters of men and, and bore children of them. Who are the Nephilim? Is this talking about these sons of God? Is it talking about the children that were born from these, these uh, intermixed relationships between angels and human beings? Uh, the Nephilim, what is this? Um, well... Literally, the word Nephilim, it comes from the word Nafal, which means to fall, so it would be uh, the fallen ones. Um, literally, the Hebrew word would mean the fallen ones. Uh, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, the Septuagint is what that's called, it would call, it, it translated the Nephilim as giants. And there's two places in the Old Testament that we see this word for Nephilim, uh, which is often translated giants. The other place, I think, is what gives us the clue to understand what these, who these Nephilim are. In Numbers chapter 13, in Numbers chapter 13, Moses sends the, the spies into the promised land to check the land out to say, you know, is, is this good land? Are we going to be able to come in and take it? And, you, and, and the 12 spies come back. You've got Joshua and Caleb who say, yes, let's go. Let's take the land. Whereas uh, um, the other 10 spies, what they come back saying? Boy, they've got big grapes and everything, but, you know, uh, there's the Nephilim there. That's what it, they say. The, the Nephilim are there, and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Which is probably, since the, this word is only used two times in the Old Testament, that's probably why they translated giants. Uh, because these, these, um, the spies that went into the land, we see from there, uh, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in the, in the sight of, of these, these people they called the Nephilim. Now, what does that have to do with this passage? I think... Uh, what Moses is doing here, whenever he writes this, because he's the one who writes Genesis through Deuteronomy, and he's the one who wrote about, uh, he's the one who was leading the children of Israel at that time, and um, what he's doing here is he's saying, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, what days is that? In the days that these fallen angels came down and uh, and had... Um, uh, intermarriages between he, uh, them and, and human women. Um, so the Nephilim were there both before this happened and after it happened. The effect of that is saying uh, to his original readers, to the ones who were going to be going into the prof promised land, you don't have to worry about these Nephilim. They're not some kind of demigods like uh, like you see in Greek, Greek literature of, of these these. Uh, like Zeus and, and some human woman having a child. Uh, no, it, they're not like that. They're not some product of the gods or anything like that. They're just human beings. They were there both before the sons of God came down and after. And so since they were both there before and after, we know these Nephilim, they didn't come from uh, this, this intermarriage. The Nephilim themselves, or the, the sons of God, uh, the, the children that would have come from those relationships, they were, they were destroyed in the flood. They were distorted. They, they're not around anymore. So, I'm going to back up again. 
I say all that. I think that is, is an interpretation that makes sense. It makes sense of the text. It makes sense of the data. But at the same time, um, we this is this is something that it is a difficult text, and I think we should be gracious and and not divisive over how we come down on how to interpret this text. If you say you think, well, it just doesn't make sense to me. You think it's uh, you know the godly line of Seth and the uh, and the wicked line of. Um, of uh, uh, Cain, that's fine. <laughs> it is not something to divide about. But I think that's what does make the best sense of the text. Now, verse 5, we get to, to this next part. It says, Now the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was the condition of human beings at the time. Uh, we saw the, the, the spread of sin, where, where sin entered into the world by just eating a fruit. And it seems so innocent to us. But the spread of that, it, it went, went to where in the very next generation you see murder. And, 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 and each generation just seems to get worse and worse and worse until finally you get to the time of Noah and it says, every intention of the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually that's all day long every hour every minute only thinking about evil just when they go to bed at night they're thinking what kind of evil am i going to do the next the next day when they get up in the morning they think oh what am i going to do today that's going to be evil that's that's the kind of only evil continually and and i say that and if it were not for the grace of God, that's where we would all be. If it were not for the grace of God, if it were not for a change that He would bring about in our hearts, if it were not for His withhold, His His um, um, preserving Spirit within the world, uh, that is where we would all be. We would all be just like these ancient people who were only thinking of evil and wicked all the time. And verse 6 says, And the Lord regretted that he made man upon the earth, and, he grieved, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, this brings up the question. It says, The Lord regretted that he had made man upon the earth. Regretted. Does God, does God regret things? Does God change his mind? It says in the last verse, I am sorry that I have made them. Is this indicating that God changed his mind? I don't believe so. God is, he, he, he does what he pleases. He is, he is sovereign and he is in control. And, and he does not change his mind. Later on in, in other scriptures, I, I don't have the text, uh, the reference for the text off, off the top of my head at the moment. But it says, God is not a man to change his mind. He's not like we are to be fickled and just be changing our mind all the time. No, God is not like that. He does not change his mind. He has settled his purpose and he will, he will do what he has determined to do. But I, I think that what this is is a, a, is a kind of a, a phenomenological language. It's, it's describing how it appears uh, to us. When, when, when God, um, he, he hurts, he's saddened, 
He, he really is, is hurt and pained of the fact that human beings become so, have become so evil and wicked. And so he decides he is going to wipe out all of humanity in the, in the flood that is going to come. But then we see verse 8, and here is the ray of hope in this passage. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word for favor is the word great for word for grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When when you know, there's nothing in here that tells us that Noah was different from all the other people there. That everybody else that was was only thinking of evil constantly all the time. The, the text doesn't tell us that Noah was different here. Instead, it tells us Noah found grace. He didn't get what he deserved. He got a gift. He got something he didn't deserve. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, It is only by grace. It is only by His free gift of mercy. It is only by Thy mercy, like we sang, that we can be saved, that we can have a relationship with God. We have all gone our own way, just like Ecclesiastes tells us. Man, God created man upright, but they've all found their own devices. Um, we have all gone our own way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And it is by His grace that we can be saved. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, and, and what can we look at in Noah? I, I don't, when, we, when we say that he was saved by grace... I don't think it's anything that was particularly good in him. It was perfectly grace. But one thing we can look at is he had faith. He had faith. Now I think God picked him out. God gave him that faith. It wouldn't have been he, he was just like everybody else, and it was only God's grace that was able to enable him to have that faith. But God came to him and he told him, Build an ark. And Noah's like, What's an ark? <laughs> What's rain? What what is this? You're telling me a flood is going to come? And, and the, all the years that Noah went into building that ark and and his wife, what do you what do you what do you keep bringing home these bills for lumber, Noah? <laughs> think of think of what he had to put up with with his with his wife asking, Noah, you're crazy. But Noah believed God. That is the picture of faith that we see. The, the faith is, is someone who's believing God, and in spite of, of uh, everybody else thinking he was crazy, he believed what God was telling him. And, and we see the same kind of pattern when we come to Abraham. Abraham, God, God uh, it, it tells us that, that he, he had to go up the mountain and he was told to sacrifice his son. And Abraham believed God, so he went up on that mountain and uh, he... He was just about ready to sacrifice his son, and God stopped him, and he and he provided a lamb. He provided a ram that was th- stuck in the in the thicket. This is the same pattern we see. It's someone who believes God. And notice, um, we're not going to turn there right now, but you can go back and look in your own Bibles. The passage that tells us Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness happened before that test uh, where where uh, Abraham had to take Isaac up on the mountain. He believed God before that ever had even happened. And he was credited as righteous even before he took his son up on the mountain. All of this points forward to the fact that salvation is by grace through faith alone. 
that salvation is by grace through faith alone, and it is in that it is faith in that person, that faith in that one who Genesis 3 tells us about, who was the seed of the woman who was going to come, who was Jesus Christ, who came, he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he, he, he died upon a cross, he rose again, and we can have life in him. So all of that to say, I'm winding down now, these things are written for our instructions. And, and even though some things are difficult, and even though some things uh, seem to blow our minds, we're like, how? I can't even understand that. It is all God's Word and is meant for our instructions. Um, and even this passage here that we, we look at and we think is, is so bizarre, it points us to the Gospel. It points us to the fact that we are saved by grace in that promised seed that is to come. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church in Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.